Welcome to Sacred Realms. a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. Uh, we are coming to you once again as part of our season six uh, of this show, which we have, of course, split into two separate games. Um, for those of you who don't remember or who are just joining us, and if that is you, then uh, we did a lot. Yeah, welcome. We did a lot before this, so maybe catch up on that. It was it was okay. <laughs> I feel like it was worth listening to at least yeah it was it was good it was good um regardless this is probably not the most opportune point to jump on at but uh we are starting a new game so i guess there are worse points in which a person could choose to do that uh regardless we are coming to you now with the back half of season six of this show uh front half was covering the original legend of zelda and the back half is covering its sequel zelda 2 the adventure of link it's always a fun time to start a new game on this show. Of course, the person that I always bring along with me to talk about these things is our intrepid co-host, my brother, Matt. How you doing, Matt? Oh, I'm good. And you don't always bring me along, just mostly always. Uh, two. Fair, often enough, fairly often. <laughs> often enough, yeah. yeah. Uh, pretty much a 98% success ratio on uh, <laughs> on bringing me along. Uh, yeah, here we are. It's new game, new... Uh, Technically not a new season, but, you know, basically new season. Uh, I see you fiddling with some switches over there. Are we uh, we all good? We're good. The volume coming into my headphones was super loud. Um, everything was fine, and the actual recording levels were were totally good. But the um, the little dial that affects how loud I hear you while we're recording uh, was uh, mysteriously all the way all the way dialed over to the very far right, which meant my eardrums were bleeding. Um, and I think <laughs> I think we can probably credit that to um, uh, one Sawyer boy, one Sawyer dude who is. Uh, he, he is a walk-in and he is getting into things and uh, my little recording hub uh, is one of those things that he just loves to get in my office and, and fiddle around with so well there it's you got go. lots of turny dobs and pushy buttons and when it's plugged in it has blinky lights so really what's not to love from a toddler perspective yeah there's definitely really a lot for him to get into there so makes total sense um, anyway Matt you were you were telling us how you were doing uh, yeah no I'm fantastic I uh it is fall, which is the best time of year. Anyone who says otherwise is incorrect. You know, people, I agree with you. People call us basic for this opinion. That's true. And what I would say to them is, I don't know what you want from me. It feels amazing outside. Exactly. I can sit outside and record a podcast and not be sweating uh, at 10 o'clock at night, which is not the case for the entirety of summer. So here we are. I'm uh, I'm loving it. This is great. It's prime podcasting weather. It's prime stogie weather. And more uh, amazing than either of those two things is it is prime whiskey weather. Yep. Yep. We're, we're indulging in all of those things at one time right now because it finally, it finally is, is livable out here on this back patio where we record. So, um, yeah, this summer was brutal. It's over. It feels fantastic now. So, uh, we say, we say, thank you, Cy, for that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was a, that was a good one. Yeah. That was a, that was a Dark tower. Hey, yeah. hey. <laughs> slide that one in under the radar. Um, so new game, uh, and probably, 
the most infamous game in the Zelda in the entry would in, you say? In, in, in the canon of in the Zelda canon of Zelda would, would you say I think it's fair to say that if if Zelda has if this if the Zelda series has a black sheep then it's this one um I think uh, I think anything else is just gunning for second place you know yeah um this one has definitely got a reputation as being uh the most wildly different from other games in the series um it's got a reputation for being very difficult um i feel like even you know i i know a lot of hardcore zelda fans and i feel like a lot of them whenever it comes time to ask like hey which ones have you played and which ones have you liked and all that um you got about a 75 percent chance of that person saying that they have not played this game or uh, didn't like it when they played it. Right. Simply because, uh, not because it wasn't available to play, especially now. There's lots of ways to play this game. But um, but yeah, just because it does have a reputation and it has a, like, kind of a, a, a well-known dark horse status um, within the Zelda canon. And, and you know, when we get into our, the Sacred Realms rundown for this week, we're going to talk a little bit about why that is. Uh, because in the uh, first episode that we do for each new game, we um, we typically tackle a little bit less of that game in terms of progression than we do on later episodes. Uh, but we spend a bit more time talking about just the feel of the game and what's involved and like the core mechanics and that kind of thing. So yep. we're, we're going to have a lot of stuff to talk about um there and yeah we'll definitely we'll we'll see where we land with uh this one in comparison to the legend of zelda which you and i came uh came away from having had some pretty good times with yeah i think you know we always do our best um you know this may be old hat for those of you who have stuck with us throughout uh all five and a half seasons now but uh to just reiterate Our whole spiel is that we try our absolute best to approach every game uh, as objectively as possible with as little uh, with as little preconceptions about it. Right. And like we don't want to judge a game before we even get started on it. Right. And that goes for games that we have played and games that we have not played. Um, I think that has been more difficult with. the Legend of Zelda and now the Adventure of Link just because of that reputation that is so prevalent. But um, I feel like we did a pretty good job of that with The Legend of Zelda um, and, you know, going into Adventure of Link right off of Legend of Zelda, which we, as Lyndon said, really enjoyed. I think our hopes were a little bit higher than they were uh, for this game, just because, like, you know, it was such a come out of left field that we enjoyed the legend of Zelda as much as we did. So, you know, I think we, we had a very strong inkling of hope there. Um, and you know, I guess we'll see how that bears out through the season. Yep. The base premise for this podcast from day one has been that we do not believe a bad Zelda game made and published by Nintendo exists. And so, uh, you know, we, we have found that to be correct. Uh, in so, so far, in so far as we've gotten in this show, so good stuff. That's what you like to hear. But uh, again, we're we're going down a new, we're traveling down a new road here tonight. So we'll see where we land at the end of it. Of course, we've got a little ways to go before we get there. Uh, before we get into the Sacred Realms rundown to talk about our first steps into this very different Zelda game, let's go ahead and get a little housekeeping out of the way. If you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly reexamination of the Legend of Zelda, one little slice at a time. Every week, we plan 
play a new section of a Zelda game, then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. We are currently sitting pretty on 101 five-star reviews. So thank you to everybody who has left a review on Apple Podcasts so far. You are wonderful people. We have some great written reviews as well, some new ones since the last time we checked in. Um, And we are going to catch up with those after the Sacred Realms rundown. But uh, never fear, if you've written one in recently, there's a good chance it might get read on this show tonight. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod to get access to our Discord channel, which is poppin' these days, listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and much more. Of course, the voting on what game we play next is something that we're going to be doing pretty uh, pretty soon here. I feel like... um, Even though we've got half of this season left to go, the back half is only going to take up six episodes worth of time. So it's six weeks worth of time, uh, which is going to encompass playing through this game and then doing a recap episode as per normal. Um, So I feel like somewhere about halfway through Adventure of Link, we're going to put up a poll um, where everybody will be able to vote on what game we play next. And we're pretty sure that that's going to be the next 3D Zelda game in the series is what we're going to be voting on. So a lot of good options there. Um, Definitely get in on the Patreon on at any level if you want to cast your vote for one of those when that time comes. Uh, Of course, one of the other benefits that members of our Patreon receive is that Master Sword patrons and above get their names read every week here on the show. Those legendary individuals are Patrice, Darknuck, Brian, George, Mike, Dylan, Allie, Lennon, Kolku, Rowan, Josh, Nick, Keep It Going, Dante, Gep, Brittany, Davey, Haru the Mighty, Derek, Albert, Mark, Andy, Cameron, Tyler, Ben, Daniel, Nick D underscore TV, Travis, Christian, Jonathan, Hyrule Interviews, a.k.a. Maximum Nichols, Garrett, and Drew. These are all legendary individuals. We count them among our very best friends. We could not make this show without them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But without further ado, let's talk about what we played. We do that every week in the Sacred Realms Rundown, which is a six-part analysis of what we played this week and the feelings that it made us feel. Today, we are covering The Adventure of Link. That is Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link, the only title in the Zelda series that does not contain The Legend of Zelda as a part of its uh, title, interestingly enough, uh, covering chapter one, which is going to be the game intro, the first dungeon, and just uh, general thoughts about the beginning of this game. Part one of the Sacred Realms rundown is usually the plot recap as read by Matt, and tonight it is indeed that. Matt is back on the horse. He's going to do some plot recap for us. We uh, we thank him very much for this wonderful job that he always does. It's a it's an invaluable service that you provide us, well, Matt. Thank you so much. I, I do uh, aimed, please. Matt, take it away. was on the road to ruin yet again. After defeating the Dark Lord Ganon, the evil that he left behind was causing chaos and disorder all across Hyrule. Many of Ganon's minions still roam Hyrule, strewing destruction in their path and seeking to resurrect their Dark Master. And the key to Ganon's return is the blood of the very hero that defeated him, and his minions seek to find and destroy Link so that his life force can be transferred to the Dark Lord and bring about his return. Even in the face of this danger, Link remained in Hyrule, helping to bring about its restoration. 
but one day a strange mark like that of the royal crest appeared suddenly upon his hand. He went to the wise Imba, who set him upon his last quest for advice. Upon seeing the mark, Impa became extremely troubled and whisked Link away to the North Castle. Within this castle, there is a door that does not open, and it was here that Impa brought Link and pressed this new mark against the door. Immediately, the door reacted as if a key had turned in a lock and the door swung open. In the middle of the room, there was an altar and a beam of sunlight, and upon this altar slept a beautiful young woman. Here sleeps Princess Zelda. These words from Impa ring across the empty room as she begins to tell us her story. It is said that long ago when Hyrule was once a country, a great ruler maintained the peace in Hyrule using the Triforce. However, the king was only mortal and eventually he died. The prince that came after him should have inherited the kingdom, but he could not inherit the Triforce in whole. The prince searched everywhere for the missing piece of the Triforce, but could not find them. Then, a magician who was close to the late king brought the prince some unexpected news. That before the king died, he said something about the Triforce to the younger sister of the prince, the princess Zelda. The prince immediately questioned the princess, but she would not tell him anything. And after the prince, the magician threatened to put the princess into an eternal sleep if she didn't talk. But even under this threat, she maintained her silence. In his anger, the magician cast this spell, even though the prince, in his surprise, tried to stop him. When the spell was finished, Princess Zelda fell on the spot and entered into a sleep from which she might never awake. And at the same time, the magician also fell to the ground and died. In his grief, the prince placed the princess in this very room. He hoped that someday she would awaken from her sleep. In order that this tragedy would not be forgotten, he proclaimed that every female child born in the royal line should be named Zelda in her honor. After telling this tale, Impa hands us a scroll with the crest of the royal family and six strange crystals. For generations, my family has handed down these items, which have been set aside for a time when another great king shall come. The scroll is written in an ancient dialect, which none can read, but it is said that he who has the crest would be able to do so. It is also said that the key to reuniting the Triforce is writ upon this scroll. Now read it, Link. As we look at the scroll, full of doubt and our ability to comprehend it, we start to make out the words there. Even though we have never seen the letters before, the scroll reads easily to us and says this. To you who would control the Triforce of the future. I shall hand down to you the secrets of the Triforce. There are three kinds, power, wisdom, and courage. When these three are brought together, the Triforce will, will show its full power. Of the three, I have left power and wisdom within the kingdom, but the Triforce of Courage I have hidden for a reason. Not everybody can use the Triforce. It requires a strong character with no evil thoughts, but an inner special quality is also needed. Unfortunately, I have not found such a person during my own lifetime. Therefore, I have decided to cast a spell on all of Hyrule. A crest will appear on a young man with that special character, who has been brought up correctly, has gained much experience, and reached a certain age. But what will happen if someone else uses the Triforce before then? Well, if it is misused, it will produce many evils. 
The Triforce of Courage is hidden in the Great Palace in the Valley of Death, on the largest island in Hyrule. However, to enter there, you must first fight the Guardians and undo the magical binding force. When you have defeated the Guardians, which I made to prevent enemies from invading the six palaces in Hyrule, set a crystal in the forehead of the statue that you find. When you have set crystals in all the statues of the six palaces, the binding force placed on the Valley of Death will be removed, and you will be able to enter the Great Palace. There you must fight the last guardian, and only by defeating this guardian can you obtain the Triforce. There is nothing to fear, for you are the one destined to get the Triforce. You are the beacon of hope for Hyrule. After reading this, we look once more at Impa, who implores us to set out upon this quest so that we may use the Triforce to free the princess from her eternal slumber. After a long look at the altar, we agree, and taking up our magical sword and our great bronze shield, we head out once more to explore Hyrule and save the princess. As we set out upon this journey, we make our way through the fields and forests of Hyrule, using a map that shows only the way to the two towns in the immediate area and to the first palace. We make a quick stop at each town and speak to the folk there, heal up from some very friendly townswomen, and continue northeast to the first palace. <laughs> Inside, we find a slew of enemies, from blue blobs and tin suits who steal XP to Stalfos and Iron Knuckles. We explore the palace thoroughly, and keeping in mind the hints from some of the townsfolk, keep an eye out for a magic candle that can help us see in darkened tunnels. We find many enemies, and by defeating them, we grow stronger and stronger. Eventually, we make our way to the end of the palace, and find a man-height, horse-headed warrior in full battle armor. This creature wields a huge mace that cuts right through any defense and deals massive damage. And with its armor, our sword cannot damage its body. Luckily, its equine head is unarmored, and using our athletic ability, we jump and slash at its head over and over again until the enemy is felled. And in rather dramatic fashion, it explodes and opens up the path to the first of the six crystal statues. We, pray, we place the crystal within the forehead of the statue as instructed, grab a spare key on the ground, and head out to continue our journey towards the next palace and the next step of claiming the Triforce. This has been the plot recap as read by Matt. Let's get into part two, which is our takes, where we talk about how we felt about this section of game uh, from plot to mechanics to music, all that fun stuff. Um, as always, whenever we start a new game, Matt, I feel like what we probably should do is get the lore discussion out of the way first, because something actually sort of surprising happened here. Um uh, for one thing, it needs to be said that as with the Legend of Zelda, we began this gameplay experience by reading through the manual first, which 
is uh, where all of that plot came from. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> honestly, if you're listening and you're playing along with this game and you have you're playing it for the first time, and if you have not read the game manual, just Google Zelda 2 game manual and read through that because it's actually pretty dense. There's some helpful stuff in there. Um, and there's a big plot dump. Like a really well, big plot dump. Or you could just listen to the plot dump that I just did, which is almost well, word for word. Exactly. Yeah, it's yes, almost but, word okay, for word. But yeah. so so anyway, we we got most of that from from the manual. And we do have quite a lot of stuff to talk about. Um <laughs> obviously, uh, you know, as we said a minute ago, there's a lot of gameplay differences that we need to get into here. But what I think is really cool is that we have got the first appearance of several main pillars of the Zelda lore that happen here right um i mean just off the top of my head the, the big one obviously is the MacGuffin that we're searching for in this game which is the, the triforce of courage the triforce of courage right we love a good MacGuffin. we do um and it's so cool because obviously the legend of zelda um that only concerned the triforce of wisdom, wisdom and power uh and the triforce of courage was not mentioned so here we have the first mention of it we've got a lore explanation for why that is it was hidden away from the other two at some point after the events of a link to the past i guess it would have been or actually after after the events of a link between worlds, it would have been um, dismantled, and I guess by the current by the king of Hyrule, who's discussed in in this um, this whole little plot dump, um, it was dismantled, and pieces of it were hidden. The Triforce of Courage was hidden away from the other two. Um, so now we have all three pieces of the Triforce as we know them from other games, Ocarina of Time, whatever. They're all accounted for here, which is really cool. It's cool to finally see that mentioned. Um, we've got some other big stuff that sort of happens here we have our first mention of link the hero of hyrule um being somebody who has got the mark of the triforce on the back of his hand that's a recurring theme throughout much of the rest of the zelda series uh we have a confirmation that all of the all of the women born into the royal family are named zelda by decree apparently which can you do that like that seems like a very weird thing to be able to do like is that a law did they have to pass that through i don't know they don't have Congress because it's a monarchy like but they've got to have like a House of Lords or something right like I don't know that seems just weird the plot dump does unfortunately not cover too much about the uh, the nitty gritty of the governance day to day of the kingdom of Hyrule so you mean it's not like episode one Phantom Menace where we have to go over tax codes yeah no, no, no. <laughs> Tax codes and trade <laughs> the, treaties. The, the, ta <laughs> the taxation of trade routes to outlying star systems is in dispute. <laughs> I think it's probably for the best that we don't go into that nitty gritty oh, here. Man. It was not one of the high points of that movie. Matt, I was not elected to watch my people suffer and die while you discuss this invasion in a committee. Well, I'm glad that we don't have a committee, Lyndon. We don't There's have, only two. There's only two. It's a quorum of two. Cool, cool. Yeah, no, that is that is not discussed. Um, <laughs> good. Now this is getting out of hand. Here, now there are two of them. Here, here we here we are with prequel memes. The podcast. It's great. I love it so much. It's awesome. Um, so yeah. So we, <laughs> no idea, but yes. So we now have a canonical reason why all of these different women are named Zelda. God only knows why all of the various links are named Link. I don't think that was down in the bylaw. Anywhere, yeah, I don't think so. Whatever. Um, I, before we keep going, are, are we getting some like Targaryen vibes from the prince and princess? Because he seems to be like really well. So that's my. Uh, I'm kind of wondering about a lot of stuff in here. For one, this whole story is actually kind of hardcore, right? Like, there's human sacrifice in here. Yes, there's like spells of very death, dark. Like, 
eternal slumber that apparently also keeps her ageless. Wizards just casting spells on princesses. Uh, yeah, human sacrificing Link, and I think it literally says in the in the manual, it's like you, spreading his blood on the ashes of the Dark Lord to resurrect him or something. I was like, man, that is uh, that's pretty metal. That is Game of Thrones. <laughs> right there yeah uh so yeah that's all it's all pretty heavy stuff um one thing i did want to ask about while we're talking about zelda okay so it's pretty clear from the plot dump that this is a separate zelda than the one that we rescued in the last game right so i mean you would have to think so right because apparently this was done in the distant distant past but then where is the zelda that we just spent our last game rescuing (laughs) uh old uh, new zelda is dead long live old zelda oh my gosh the the princess is dead long live the princess yeah so uh yeah i think the zelda that we rescued in the last game it sounds like she had had just about enough she gtfo'd hyrule and she's uh you know she's uh she's on an island somewhere uh she's just pina coladas she's living her best life uh, and not being involved with any of the blood sacrifices so good for her Uh, yeah i was about to say that's that's the smartest princess zelda that there is in any of the game yeah 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 it was was a good decision on her part she didn't want to be the macguffin twice so what i want to know is obviously this game came out far before most of the rest of the lore was kind of shored up and certainly well before we had anything resembling a timeline um what i want to know is are we to believe that this Zelda, this Princess Zelda that's asleep in the castle, it, would this have been like a monarch of high rule from the pre Ocarina of Time days, like in the in the earliest like like pre timeline split, and she's just been like sleeping in some hidden chamber somewhere throughout like all the rest of the events of all these other games, and also. We're led to believe in the last game that the entire kingdom of Hyrule is basically ransacked by Ganon. Are we supposed to believe that in his ransack, he didn't just come across this slumbering princess? And if he did, I mean, you have to assume that he did. And he just decided to be like, nah, it's cool. So what we do need to remember here is that we are, I think, presumably playing this game in a different section of Hyrule than when the, the from what the legend of zelda was taking place in because right. we discussed several times the legend of zelda presumably takes place in like the foothills of death mountain essentially right, right it does but the the plot dump in the manual of the legend of zelda said that impa fled from hyrule castle where princess zelda had been captured so like hmm. ganon did ransack presumably hyrule main yeah right and it also says in this plot dump that link is staying behind to help rebuild Hyrule. Yeah. So like, I, I mean, I have to, you have to assume, although this does say it's the Northern castle. So maybe it's just like a sequestered remote palace that Ganon yeah. didn't find or something. But so while we're talking about Ganon, this is an element that I kind of, kind of found to be a little bit, um, I don't know, a source of some unnecessary complication in the whole plot, right? Because the whole, the whole premise here is that we need to find the Triforce of Courage so that we can awaken the slumbering Princess Zelda, right? And yep. the story of the game is that we have to take crystals that Impa gives us to each of the six palaces. And once those crystals have been placed in statues, then we can get to the final palace, get the Triforce, wake up Zelda. Cool. That's a good enough game story all on its own. But we also have this weird subplot where it's like, oh, but also... Ganon might come back and if if you die along the way Ganon will come back and if we uh, are we to believe that the goal is like by awakening Princess Zelda we somehow 
can make that not happen. Like, it seems like there's two separate stories happening here. That's a really good point. And it's an A and a B storyline, right? And how are they tied together? I guess maybe we'll find out at the end of the game. I don't know. But yeah, that I feel like. Also, how do you stop that from happening? Like, there's got to be a way to stop that from happening outside of just genociding all of his minions, which, I mean, is not a bad plan, but would take a lot of time and effort. So, Yeah. One thing that is nice is that, you know, we had talked in the plot um, for The Legend of Zelda that we there was a little confusion in terms of, like, how often has Ganon died in this timeline? Because we definitely do see Ganon killed. In A Link to the Past, which takes place chronologically before this game. And then some other things happen in some other games that you haven't played with. And uh, then Ganon doesn't, (laughs) spoiler alert, come out of those games super well either. Um, (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean. But he's back in The Legend of Zelda, um, seemingly just kind of has kind of cropped back up into the world. So I guess we, we do get a little bit of a lore confirmation here that the resurrection of Ganon is something that's just sort of like people are always working on. In this timeline. Right. Um, which is, you know, which that makes sense. There's precedent for that. Um, the only other game where we really uh, the only other game from like one of the other timelines where we talk about the continual cycle of reincarnation of Ganon himself is Breath of the Wild, where we saw, you know, the calamity working on making that happen. Yep. And we interrupted it and and didn't see it come to fruition. But yes, so uh, that does make sense. Uh, Ganon does continue coming back and coming back and coming back. Um, so that's, you know, that at least tracks. But I think it's definitely it's interesting because it's not like the game even needed all this plot. Right. I mean, this yeah. this is all just table dressing, um, and the only the only part of it that's really immediately viewable in game in any way is the quest to wake up the princess. Right, right. And, and I think everything else is just trying to give a reason for why there are bad guys. Still, yeah, why why there are still monsters, even though we just spent the whole of last game supposedly eliminating their leader. Right, right. Like, yeah, I yeah, guess yeah. I think that makes the most sense. Right, is we have to justify not only a big bad who happens to be the same big bad, but also there are more monsters around now than there were in the last game, which wouldn't have made a lot of sense without, I guess that little bit of, uh, or that lot of bit of, um, background explanation. Right. So, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah that's fair. I, and like just so many questions about timeline and continuity and, mm-hmm. and like where all of this falls, right? Like when was the last time Hyrule had a King? Well, I don't know when like like what you were saying about was this king the linked between worlds king or is it linked to the past or is it even further back? Like who which Zelda is this? Yeah, like all of those things come to mind now. Um, probably at the time that it was made, right, where this is only the second game in the series and there wasn't any timeline shenanigans going on. Um, that was probably less of a consideration and it was more just like a cool, interesting little plot point that was like oh cool hyrule's been around a long time and uh you know i guess it was probably more interesting and a little easier to stomach or uh, easier to digest at that point in time with this being the second game in the series right so yeah definitely uh, i think we have a lot of the recency bias of having a fully fleshed out timeline hyrule historia experience yeah uh is there anything else that you kind of wanted to mention about the introductory plot to this game before we kind of move on and start talking about the myriad of ways that this game is different from the last one that we played and all the other ones that we've ever played. Yeah. I I do also have just a curiosity of how long has passed between game one and two, right? Like it seems, it it seems to have been pretty quick, right? It it seems to have been pretty quick because Impa's still around, even though she's 
according to both plots yeah. ancient. Well, the manual uh, does say that many seasons have passed. So my my interpretation of this is that Link is a few years older. Yeah. So if we assume he's probably like 15 or 16 in the last game, let's let's call him maybe 20. Yeah. Baby. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's fair. Um, yeah. I think that that's kind of the brush up on my thoughts of plot and background story. But uh, yeah, let's talk about uh, some things that are immediately noticeable and uh, represented within the game itself. Yeah, so I'm sure most of the people who are listening to this podcast already know, but if you didn't know, Zelda 2 The Adventure of Link is an incredibly marked departure from the game that preceded it and from all the games that follow it. Uh, the way that this game works is that it does technically have an overworld and that overworld is technically top down. However, the overworld is arranged very differently from in past Zelda games. It's much more of like a hub than anything else and no real-time combat takes place in the overworld um, you can see little sprites of enemies moving around as you're walking through it and the overworld does have various terrain right yeah so it's got like path that you can it's like it's got like a road you can follow and you're safe when you're on the road um, but if you start walking into the grass or into forest or swamp or desert or whatever any terrain other than road um, then you start seeing these little sprites move around uh, that are enemies that if they hit your character then you get launched into a side scrolling yes um, experience it's very pokemon like, it is. It's it very is. Pokemon. Yeah. Um, it, it is very similar to Pokemon in more than one way. We'll get to the second major way here in just a minute. But yeah, so the bulk of the action of this game takes place in a side-scrolling view. It looks a lot um, It looks a lot more like Mario yeah. than, than it does any other Zelda. Every internal aspect, right? Like if you enter a building, if you enter a palace, if you enter a town, a town or a home, anything that is internal – uh, or I guess we call it micro, right? Anything that's a micro view, not an overworld view, is all side scroll. Mm -hmm. um, everything that is overworld related when you're transitioning from palace to palace, mm -hmm. town to palace, anything like that, uh, you just have a very top down thousand foot eagle eye view um, of the the road and the terrain surrounding and then little blobs. Like yeah. Linda was saying, so. And so, uh, since this is a side scrolling combat game, there's a few major differences from the way that we normally do combat in Zelda. One of them is that your character link does have the ability to jump from the get go. Um, it's one of your, it's one of the main mechanics in this game. You don't require like a rock's feather or anything else in order to jump. You can just do it. You, He's got some hops. He does. He, he jumps high. Yep. Yeah. Um, Really, really good vertical movement on, on Link's part. Uh, he also comes equipped by default with both a sword and a shield. The shield at least works uh, very similarly to how the shield does in The Legend of Zelda and A Link to the Past, um, which is that as long as like you're just standing, you know, like if you're not swinging your sword or jumping or whatever, like if the shield is like if you're just um, – neutral pose mm -hmm. then your shield is blocking projectiles that yeah. hit it um link can crouch he can he's got two i guess he's got two stances he's got stand and crouch and um you've got two levels of height that are kind of working there right like you've basically got a head level of of height and then a foot level of height and uh you know if you're 
if you have a projectile coming at you at your foot level, then you need to crouch in order for your shield to block those. And if it's coming at your face, then you need to be standing. So that's basically how that works. It's pretty self-explanatory. Um, the sword, it, again, you know, you you hit the button to swing the sword. You do damage to enemies. Um, it does not have a very long reach. It is tiny. Yeah. It is a. It is more like a knife than a sword. Yeah. Uh, also, I want to uh, slightly contradict you in that it being self-explanatory. It was not until I got into the first dungeon or palace that I realized that Link had a shield. What? Like, it, you can't barely tell that it's there. It's like a single line of pixels that is the same color as his body. And it's it's not uh, it's not immediately noticeable. Well, now, in fairness, Matt, this was in the manual. Well, yeah, I know it was in the manual, but just like looking at it, I was yeah, like, yeah, does yeah. he have a shield? I don't know. Yeah. Um. So we do actually, you know... Um, we do have like a better view of Link the character just by virtue of the fact that like it is side scrolling and there's a few more pixels to sort of work with here. Um, so that's kind of a that's kind of a cool thing. Um, we said that there were two major differences um, in the way that combat happens in this game versus other ones, and also two major similarities between this game and Pokemon. The um, the field battling is one of the major. Um, is one of the major similarities between this game and Pokemon. The other one is that this game has an experience leveling system. And by defeating enemies, you get experience and you're able to grind for experience points. Um, and then once you've accumulated a certain number of those, you're able to upgrade your attack power, your magic capacity and your life capacity. Um, and so this brings it with it a few very interesting things. One of which is that there are no hearts in this game. Yeah, it's like a life bar meter thing. Yeah, yep. Very, uh, very hit points E. Yeah, um, and then another one of those is that I don't believe that we actually acquire different swords in this game. I think you that just max out your attack power. Yeah, I think I think you just work on the attack power of the base sword that you have. So that's a pretty big departure there in and of itself. Um, look, obviously, this is. This is just incredibly different, uh, an incredibly different way of minute to minute playing this game than any other Zelda game. Yeah. And um, we knew that going into it. We knew that it was going to be a, a big deal and a big departure. Matt, how did you feel about the side scrolling style of of combat? You know, I, I actually don't necessarily hate the side scrolling. Um, it's definitely different. Like it is not my favorite, but I, I got used to it fairly quickly just because, you know, I played a lot of Pokemon in, in my in my youth, I guess we'll call it. Um, and I so, so like you're almost 30. You had a youth. I you had, now have your life. I, I, yeah. OK, fair, <laughs> fair enough. Um, I yeah, I, I like it, that wasn't so much of a challenge for me. It was just like shocking to see it in a Zelda game. Um, I guess. And um, yeah, it's fine. I think I, I honestly have more of a problem with the verticality of low, low strike versus body strike versus jump strike, because you can't crouch and move at the same time. So anytime you're trying to hit like one of those blobs, uh, it you have to like crouch and kind of wait for it to get close enough to you to hit it. So I was having a pretty hard time with that more than anything. Um, any any enemy that I could just hit while standing up and moving was pretty fine. Um, but yeah, the, the verticality combined with the side scroll was definitely odd 
didn't didn't love it. Yeah, I I I can kind of agree with that. I think so. Look, I obviously there's a lot of game left to play, and we played the very earliest, most rudimentary sections of it. And so I can just give my first impressions. I don't want to try and get ahead of like my final impressions of this game in its totality or whatever. For sure. Um, but what I will say is that I. Um, I liked I, – like I had a good enough time with what we played this week. It was fun enough in and of itself. I don't think I can really say that any of it felt very much like Zelda to me. Yeah. Um. You know, a lot of different Zelda games take big swings in terms of mechanics, right? Right. Um. Zelda is actually a series that's kind of known for reinventing itself in pretty major ways over its entire run, you know? Um, You know, they range from, like, small mechanical gimmicks to, you know, major ways that you uh, interface with the game itself. Um, You know, the the DS games come to mind where you move with, like, a stylus and whatnot. Yep. We've got other other variations on that theme throughout the entire series, but – I think that there still needs to be – in order for something to feel like Zelda to me, there still has to be some um, some through lines, some consistencies. Um, and I, and I, I'm struggling to say exactly what those are off the top of my head, um, but they're not really – I didn't find them to be present here really. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the combat – that happens in this game could have easily been lifted from from any other game really i i totally agree like i don't necessarily think that side scrolling is the problem it it just feels weird the the graphic style is odd the link being tall uh compared to everybody else the the style in which he's the sprite i guess that he has um, I felt like I was playing Shovel Knight, honestly, when I was yeah, playing this game. Yeah, I think that's a really good. That's yeah, that's very accurate. Or yeah, no, sh- sh- yeah, Shovel Knight's really about the best you can get there, I think. And I, I don't know, it's just kind of odd. Um, the towns are interesting. They, you know, we have people again, which is good. I like having more characters. Yeah, um, definitely, definitely lots of NPCs. I think that this game feels populated in a, in a way that the legend of Zelda didn't. Uh-huh. Um, because within this first chunk of game, we did visit our first town, Raru. Um, I went to both towns. Okay. You went to Raru and Ruto. I did. Yeah. And that is an actually a, a pretty cool little bit of lore as well, which is that all of the towns in this game share the names of the sages from Ocarina of Time. So they're all like Saria and Naboru and Darunia and all those, you know? Yeah. Um, it's pretty cool. So that, that is cool. But yeah, those towns each have NPCs. There are things to discover in the towns. Each town supposedly has got a magic upgrade of some kind that you have to talk to somebody to get. Um, you, you meet some, some very friendly ladies. Ladies, at least they in, are in this first friendly. town. Um, they welcome you into their home. Um, Please let me help you so I can restore your life force. At which point the door closes and you get all your health back and God only knows what happened in there. <laughs> like, I think uh, those of us with adult senses of humor can fill in the, fill in the blanks. Yep. Yeah, uh-huh. So, um, yeah, get it, Link. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, this, this world does not feel... Um, like Link is one of the only five people existing in it in the way that the Legend of Zelda did. So that's kind of neat. Um, I don't know. I think that uh, even though that's true in the towns and everything, I think that in a weird way, this overworld, like the the land of Hyrule feels barren to me 
in a way that even the Legend of Zelda didn't. And that's because I, that's because I think the scale that it mm-hmm. is taking place at, like it's very um, it, it it is a, such a rudimentary looking overworld. I mean, with the Legend of Zelda, I I found that I was able to kind of like envision like what the world looked like fictionally like even though it it looked bare bones and the graphics were bare bones i was Mm -hmm. able to like kind of imprint some imagination on top of it and it it really did feel like a version of hyrule in the way that we know it this game it it, i mean honestly the overworld is truly just made up of a bunch of colored block swatches essentially Mm -hmm. um and i i think that it it just doesn't have character you know it's yeah um, it, it's it, very bland. Yeah, it's it's very bland. It is very much like you're looking. It, it's like you're looking at the overworld map in Ocarina of Time and walking around on that. Right. Like, I think one of the great things that most other Zelda games, every other Zelda game that I've played personally is overworld exploration is not about just getting from point to point. It is about exploring the land within it and trying to find cool little Easter eggs or fighting unique enemies or, uh, you know, looking for a cave that, or an underground cavern you can fall into to find a, a random cow that's in there. Right. Like, but this has none of that. And it is just like, you're moving a, a game piece on a board and either trying to get in fights with the other blobby game pieces or not getting in fights with the blobby game pieces. Yeah. And like it's it, it is so drastically different yes. from every other Zelda experience I've ever had. And even though the even though the secrets that were there to find in the Legend of Zelda were kind of fewer and further between than we've become used to in and later also games. almost impossible to find. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, I still feel like those secrets were present, right? You could still burn a bush to get into a shop or you could bomb a wall to go play a rupee game or whatever. And mm-hmm. I um, and, you know. We've got a lot more of this game to play, but I don't get the impression that that is a thing that's happening in, in this game. Yeah, I don't see how it is because you can't interact with the overworld map at all. Like, unless mm-hmm. you get into one of those Pokemon fights, you are just literally moving around. No, no, there's no sword movement. There's no item usage. There's there's no it's just move. Yeah. And like while there are caves that you can go in and kind of explore, um, I didn't have the candle and I walked into some caves, couldn't see anything, got hurt a bunch of times and said all right i guess i'll come back later but like when you enter the cave you go back into that micro view of the side scroll so it doesn't feel like overworld exploration it feels like oh i just entered a cave and it's a disjointed experience it's kind of jarring honestly is is kind of how i feel about it It's, it's jarring yeah i i agree with that for sure this definitely sort of feels to me like in some ways, two different games that were kind of mashed into one experience, mm-hmm. right? Whereas um, the minute-to-minute gameplay of um, The Legend of Zelda and every other Zelda game, really, it all feels pretty seamless, right? Like, there's no divide um, in the ways that you interact with the game from minute to minute, and there definitely is in this one. So I, that that was definitely a little off-putting to me as well. I'm going to give it an honest shot and see if I kind of if it grows on me as the game kind of continues forward. But... Uh, But yeah, definitely not a super strong first impression here. Um, There is a little bit of kind of music, again, like a musical element to this that I'd like to talk about a bit. Yeah. Um, And uh, unfortunately, also not something that I was particularly blown away by. Um, I think that uh, they made a very weird decision 
in doing completely away with the main Hyrule overworld theme from The Legend of Zelda. The overworld theme that we get here, I didn't find to be nearly as as exciting and mm-hmm. um, I, I didn't like it nearly as much. Um, I couldn't even tell you off the top of my head right now what it sounded like. Um, there was really only only one musical theme that happened in this section of game that I did like, and that's the the dungeon theme. Which yeah, I, which I, I, th- I did enjoy the dungeon theme as well. Yeah, yeah. which which I thought was good. Um, you get a, like a few bars of the Hyrule Overworld theme right when you boot the game up and you're in the North Castle, and then after that, it just kind of like goes into what is it? That one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like. You're right. And I think one of the things we said uh, in one of the very early seasons was the the great thing about overworld music in Zelda that, that we've played so far is it always has a very specific feeling of a call to adventure, a call to exploration, a call to, you know, the 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 core of what Zelda is. And I don't get that from the, the music in this game. I I get like a cool little nostalgia a little bit from that the that repet that repetitive theme just because that is repeated in some other games elsewhere and like that's about it i don't i don't i don't boot it up and get into the overworld and be like all right let's let's go explore every nook and cranny and get into some fights Uh, i'm actually like found myself turning the music down until i got into a Mm. place where i knew the music would be different turned it back up to just kind of get the feel for it and then turned it back down again yeah um um, how do you feel about uh, experience grinding as a mechanic that happens in this game? That's actually one of the things that I do like about it so far. I, really? I, being an RPG person who uh, that's I like that a lot. I like upgrade systems. I like intrinsic upgrades uh, as opposed to not as opposed to do, but in addition to uh, equipment upgrades, intrinsic upgrades are, are really rewarding for me. So um, I definitely did quite a bit of uh, enemy grinding just to try to get a level or two before going into my first palace. Mm. Um, I don't know. Like that's that's something I've always enjoyed. So I liked that. How how did you feel about it? Because I know you're not an RPG person. So yeah, I'm curious mean, how you where you landed on that. My my experience with RPGs in general is that I you know I've played some of the great ones. It's not a genre that I spend a lot of time with. Um, when I do kind of go and play an RPG, it tends to be because um, like the the like the the story and the world and the set pieces and everything like like Mass Effect. I was right? about to say you play. Did you yeah. play Mass Effect? on casual or no normal uh, normal okay yeah that's that's fair so yeah i mean i i didn't i did not play baby ass baby mode on uh on mass effect one of my one of my best friends this is a little bit of a tangent we'll come right back in a minute but i stand mass effect it is my favorite trilogy game series um i I liked andromeda well enough but mass effects one two and three my honestly probably my favorite trilogy of games that's ever been made and um i stan it and i try to push it on all my friends and and anybody that plays video games and i finally got you to play it and that was one of the biggest accomplishments of my gaming life was getting you to actually play mass effect um but one of my best friends who is not a story game person he is call of duty and destiny and like shooter games and that's it uh he actually i got him into mass effect and he was like yeah i just played it on casual so that i could uh see the story and just kill all the enemies which i totally like understand and like sure do do your thing but also Mm -hmm. um yeah a little bit of a tangent yeah um, so i guess what i will say is that any any rpg that i've really ever played that i enjoyed a lot i found that i was enjoying it kind of in spite of the 
grindy mechanics and like mm-hmm. one of the things that i just have the least patience for screwing around with in a video game is like min maxing nodes like allocating resource points to ability <laughs> nodes and like you no, don't want to build craft your character from level one to level 100 no i don't want i don't want to like i don't want to get into my pause screen and see that i've got like version one of 20 abilities and each of those abilities has got 20 upgrade nodes and over the course of forever i can like uh, like I don't want to do any of that really. I want to go do, (laughs) I want to go do fun combat and experience a cool story. And like, like the, that's one of the reasons that I actually really liked mass effect is that even though it's it's not very node based, it's it's pretty linear, but yeah, but but like the combat itself, the moment to moment combat was, was fun. And so that kind of kept me moving through it. Um, where another, a a different game, like with a different combat system probably wouldn't have engaged me as much like, like the Witcher. I mean, you've tried to get me to play the Witcher three before. Yeah. And you have a hard time with it. Yeah, And I do because it is very like, yeah, here's a massive skill tree and go grind a ton and like you can play it this way or you can play it this way or you can get enough points. But if you allocate them the wrong way, then you're like really bad at this one. You're bad at everything. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And and I I I have very little patience for that kind of game. But um, but so to answer your question, I like this well enough so far because what I found was that. The upgrading was happening just throughout the course of my general gameplay. Um, they're you like weren't having to go do a bunch of side quests. Well, or just a ton of like field grinding. I yeah. mean, may- maybe I'll end up having to do that at some point. But for right now, um, I was kind of finding that I was getting upgrades about as often as I wanted them. Mm-hmm. Um you know, not I didn't feel like I was being handed upgrades on a silver platter or anything, right. but I felt like they were coming as a as a um, as an appropriate reward for me succeeding in combat in like the dungeon or whatever. And also the upgrade system is decently simple in and of itself. Right. Yeah. Like you've got kind of magic sh- attack and life. Yeah, you've yeah. got three buckets you can kind of allocate between. And so, um, yeah, I think that. I think that I like this system. Um, I'll let you know if it becomes kind of grading for me as mm-hmm. as we kind of go further into this game. But for right now, I don't hate it. What I don't like is that there is no clearly um, like there's there's no clear way to restore your health. Um, yeah, other than fairies, like enemies don't drop health potions. I haven't seen any. I haven't seen one anyway. Um, I've got a lot of magic got a lot of magic uh never saw a single health potion um totally agree and i think one thing just to backtrack for two seconds one thing i am missing from this upgrade system is an indication outside of like life force like what am i getting for this upgrade like specifically with attack like am i increasing my attack power by 10 percent, by 5 percent, by 50 percent? i don't know i have no idea uh, I just know that I increased attack when I could and every other time I increased life like I, I, I don't know what I'm getting for my investment. Yeah, I think that's one thing I am missing right now. Yeah, and I, I agree with that as well. I think that a lot of this stuff is is not very clear. You know, it's it's not communicated very well exactly, you know, what you're getting for your upgrade points. Would um, you say it's the O word? One might even say that it's obtuse. Ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing I don't completely understand still is like when you do get a life upgrade, for instance, um, it says life and your bar is the same size that it was before, but it has like a number next to life, like one, yeah. two, three, four. So I, I don't completely understand how this system works. Am I just like 
am I just taking less damage from things the higher that number is next to life? Yeah. You know? Or I like I thought at first that maybe I was getting a new block when I invested in life, but I'm not. And yeah, I don't I don't like know what that's about. And also the same with magic. Like, are you getting a new block each time or is it just like increasing the total amount within those set blocks? I don't know. Yeah. Um, And of course, the other thing we have to mention is that uh, we have another system in this game that is very familiar to anybody who's played Mario, but has never been present in Zelda before. And that is that you have lives. Yep. One, two, and you have three. Three three lives. Three lives. Um, The manual. You lose all three. Do you like get game over and start from scratch? If you lose all three lives, you get a game over. You start back from the North Castle, but all of your progression is maintained. Okay, well, that's that's good at least. Um, So, you know, you have to trek all the way back to wherever you were. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, so I actually did get a game over. And in the interest of being able to talk about it, um, I did not rewind myself through that game over. Like I chose to take it and see what happened. And basically what happened, so I got a game over in the dungeon. Mm-hmm. I and- totally cheated my way out of multiple game overs. Oh, really? So, yeah, I didn't nice. take it. I should have, but I didn't. Yeah. So, good so, on you. So, yeah, um, I still had all my upgrades. Uh, I went back to the dungeon, and all of the enemies that I had previously killed were alive again in the dungeon. However, any um, treasure that I found in the dungeon, any keys, any key doors I had unlocked, they were still unlocked. So you don't have to redo the dungeon, aside from fighting enemies again. Yeah. Um, now, you Which do... those iron knuckles are a pain. Yes. But- now, now you do lose your experience points. Yeah, you go back you, to zero out of whatever you're at, right? Like, I think yeah. I ended this dungeon after getting a couple level ups or whatever, mm-hmm. where my experience points for next upgrade is at, like, 500 now. Yeah. So you would have started at zero out of 500 instead of zero out of 100. And right? that is one yeah. thing that Josh, and in here we have to give a shout out to uh, Josh from ZU, guest of the pod, friend, friend of the pod, great guy, um, also frequent collaborator and contributor on our Discord channel. So Josh from ZU is the Zelda 2 fan, right? Yes. Yep. Um, and I feel like he, like he has told us that, and I feel like at least four or five other people have all told us that. Like people who know Josh all know he's the Zelda 2 guy. So um, in getting ready to play this game and trying to figure out how to organize it and, and in what order to do things, we um, did solicit some help from Josh to kind of, you know, just give us some pointers and help us to structure this back half of the season. And one thing that Josh did say um, in the tips, the little tips guide that he gave us is that it's a very bad idea, especially for somebody who is playing this game for the first time to hold on to your experience points uh, because you don't have to use them to upgrade a stat Mm. whenever an upgrade, like whenever you level up, you do not have to bank your points towards something. You can save them. Um, And you like, so theoretically, if you have 200 experience points and you see that your next attack upgrade is worth 400, um, you can exit out of that screen and you can save those points and come back on your next level up when hopefully you've got 400 points and then you can buy an attack upgrade. Um, So, you know, that makes a whole ton of sense. But Josh's advice was like, hey, you know, you're going to be getting game overs. Um, It's safer to buy what you can buy when you can buy it than to try and just bank those. Yeah. Um, And so that's kind of the way that I'm playing it right now. I'm I'm sort of taking that advice to heart. Um, so yeah, look, a, a lot, a lot different here, obviously. This this was jarring, I think, for both of us. I would agree with that 100%, yes. Yeah. Um, 
I I have followed that advice pretty handily uh, about you know use your use your upgrades right and and I have been definitely doing that. Um, I think I ended up with like plus two life, plus one attack, and like plus one magic at the end of this round. Do you do you know kind of off the top of your head where you ended up? I don't remember. Okay. No, I don't. Um, the manual does say that each of those things can be upgraded a total of eight times. And, nice. and once yes, and once you pass eight, then further upgrades to that stat give you extra lives. Oh, that's cool. So it is possible to get more than three lives in this game. So that that's definitely good. I can see that being uh, very handy, uh, especially in late game play. Um, but I, I think that is probably a pretty good and pretty thorough breakdown of just the mechanics and, and the overall introductory feel of this game. Is there anything else that you want to bring up before we get into the dungeon, Matt? Um, no, I, I don't think so. I think we covered, we covered it pretty well. Um, yeah, I think we'll, we'll, we'll move along to the dungeon. All right, cool. Well, move let's along home. move along. <laughs> Alamarain. Um, God. <laughs> A deep space nine joke there. Um, all right. So let's go ahead and get into part three, which is the dungeon map where we analyze this week's dungeon from mechanics to music and more. Uh, the next few episodes, we're going to do two of these as we did with The Legend of Zelda. But for this first episode, we're just doing one dungeon. That dungeon is Parappa Palace, uh, which is the first one that you can get to after starting the game. You've got to go through a dark tunnel to get there. Um, later on, dark tunnels will be illuminated by the candle, which you do get in Parappa Palace. But um but yeah, so just a little bit of a trek that you have to take to get there. You go through several pieces of terrain to get to that dungeon. You can go through grass. Uh, you can go through a cave. You go um, into a desert. Uh, and then finally you get to the dungeon. Um, the dungeon does have a, um, you know, it, it does have a uh, a layout that must be explored in the grand tradition of Zelda dungeons. That element is preserved. Um, I think that it still felt much more linear to me mm-hmm. just because uh it's a straight line yeah it's a it's a straight line you like you you've got uh you've got basically an entry point and an exit point for each room that you're in and then sometimes you can exit top or bottom as well if there's an yep. elevator right which you have to manually control the elevators by using the up or down on the d-pad which was like confusing at first <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um so yeah uh not a very long dungeon. I don't know yet exactly what we should expect from this game in terms of how long these are going to be or how meandering they're going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, certainly I, I would say even dungeon one of the legend of Zelda was, a, was just a bit longer than this. And that was because, you know, in the legend of Zelda, a big part of exploring dungeons was the fact that you had the bombs and you were supposed to be bombing walls to kind of move mm-hmm. around what I, and that's that's kind of not present here um this dungeon does have a couple interesting like set pieces i guess we can call them you know we've got the floor that kind of falls out from under you um you know we've we've got uh classic dungeon trappings in in the form of keys and key doors and a boss um we've got all those things we've got a we've got a treasure that can be found in this dungeon so yeah i mean on paper we have some some things that are very classic to the Zelda dungeon setup. Um, and, and past that, I, I'm, I'm very curious to see what the overall vibe of dungeons in this game continues to 
be like I, I, I don't I, I'm curious to know if they all sort of feel and are styled the same. I'm curious if they have different kind of like themes or even like environment colors between them. Um, and more than anything else, I'm curious to see how how long and how complex they get, um, because this one to me was definitely not super complicated to find all the rooms and treasure and then go on and beat. But I don't necessarily feel like it's fair to hold that against this dungeon because that's pretty classic for first dungeons and basically every Zelda game. Yeah, for sure. I I would say that this is a pretty classic first dungeon experience. I think um, it had some very difficult enemies and um, it had it had uh, some beefy ones. It had a lot of different combat mechanics that, you know, it's obviously introducing you to combat mechanics from the game, right? Like you've got the iron knuckles, you've got the Stalfos, you've got the uh, tin suits that actually steal experience from you, which I didn't realize until I was reading through. Wait, uh, who steals experience from the, you? The tin suits. They look like Gorias, but they're not. The orange ones? Yeah. That die in one hit? Yeah. Oh, they steal experience from you? Yeah. Yeah. Crap. Okay. Well, glad I know that now. Good thing they're easy to kill. Unfortunately, they don't give you any XP when you beat them. Zero, which kind of is rude. If they're going to steal experience from you, the least they could do is give you some back. Yeah. Uh, so another another rude Zelda enemy, much like the Vires. Uh, the Vire. The Vire from, yeah. from last game. Yeah. Very rude. Um, although apparently we found out late in the season, Vires do give you loot if you're using a magic sword, but neither here nor there hopefully these will eventually give you something um yeah i think that like you said it's very linear uh i did think it was interesting there's that one section where you've got the collapsing walkway um that you've got to go across and there's a there's a a giant xp bag on the middle of that collapsing walkway i thought that was interesting um not very common even in later zelda games so that was kind of neat um iron knuckles were difficult uh, for sure. Like I just yes. found myself spamming B and crouching up and down randomly and just uh, trying to figure it out. Like yeah. it was, yeah, that th- I couldn't figure out a rhyme or reason to how to defeat them. So I just ended up hitting B as fast as I could while crouching up and down. So this is an interesting thing. Um, as, you know, you see it a lot in the overworld before you get to the dungeon, but definitely in the dungeon as well. I get the impression, you know, we said a lot in the last game that even though it had combat, the crux of the gameplay experience was exploration more mm-hmm. so than combat, right? Yeah. And I really get the feeling that this game is going to be the inverse of that. Yeah, I, like right out of the gate. Like everything yeah. everything that is exploration related leads to some type of combat if you're going to get anything good out of it. Yeah. Other than uh, towns where you can apparently, unbeknownst to me until right now while I'm looking at a guide, uh, set where in towns you can buy like magic spells and stuff like didn't know that that was a thing. Oh, did you not get the defense up spell? In, I did not get the defense in up spell. Okay. Did not. No. Um, I talked to, I thought I talked to everybody, but apparently not. Yeah, every town has got a spell that you can buy. So, a uh, little tangent here. Oh, you know what? We'll do this and we'll do this. Yeah, in Blue I was about Betrayals. to say, this is good. Yeah. This is Blue Betrayal That's material. Blue Betrayal. But, um, um, yeah, everything that explore as exploration related leads to some type of combat. And normally, combat is one of my favorite things about Zelda. Um, I don't like combat in this game enough at this point in time. Again, very, very early in the game. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of game to go, so I'm not making any judgments about the game as a whole. But at this point in time, um, I don't 
like the combat system enough for the whole game to hinge around it. There are a few pieces that have yet to fall into place for us in terms like as far as that is concerned. Um, And one of those is that, you know, the the acquisition of new magical offensive abilities is definitely i gather a big part of this game so definitely can see a world in which gathering those abilities makes moment to moment combat more fun right because because it does not seem like we have an arsenal in this game in the way that we typically do i don't think yeah I don't think that you're getting like a boomerang or a bow and arrow or a magic rod or any of any of those things in this game. I think that you're getting your magic powers and that is basically your arsenal here. Yeah, you're becoming uh, Link the Magician instead of Link the Walking Armory. Right. And so I, I will say that there is a combat system that's present here, though, even though – like even before having those magical abilities, there is a system to the combat, right? Most of it is it does revolve around um, the whole crouch versus stand mechanic mm-hmm. and trying to hit the enemies that you're fighting in the appropriate place, depending on where they're like holding a shield or or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, in that sense, there is a learning curve here. Like there, there is, um, and, and, and in this dungeon that really becomes apparent because you fight some pretty hard enemies in this dungeon. Like you mentioned, we've got Stalfos and Iron Knuckles and all these other things, and they've each got a kind of a specific way in which you need to beat them. Right. Yep. Um, they, it, it's actually not too dissimilar from, uh, God help me for making this comparison, but it's not too dissimilar from Breath of the Wild in that way, in that like, Enemies have got, you know, uh, they've got behaviors and stuff that you have to kind of like watch and look at in order to defeat them, you know? Yeah, that's true. Um, Man, I cannot believe you made a comparison to Breath of the Wild already. Yeah, I might need to go wash my mouth out. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, I think that there is there is an opportunity here just looking at the manual, looking at some of the spells you can get fire, thunder, defense, which I'm going to go get right after we're done recording this. Uh, like there, there are some spells here that I think could make combat far more interesting than just stand still, because for the most part, like trying to fight an enemy, especially like an iron knuckle, an iron knuckle or a Stolfos, you're not doing a lot of moving. You're mostly standing and crouching Standing and crouching, standing. Well, and, and you can also like, jump over these guys and like. Yeah, I mean, know. if you're willing to risk messing that up, like I did multiple times, and uh, yeah, I, I I think it's just gonna take some getting used to. Yeah. So I'm going to, as we said at the beginning of the episode, I'm trying my best to give it a fair shot. I'm not making any like snap judgments about this game already out of the gate. So Josh, if you're listening to this, I know you're cringing as you're listening to all the things we're saying, but we have not sworn off the game yet we're not like saying it's a lost cause i think there's just a lot of things that you and i both are saying we need to get used to about this game because it is so different and there's a lot of things that are going to take some practice to Mm -hmm. where we are comfortable with it to then enjoy the game and experience it the way that i think the game designers meant it to be experienced and enjoyed yeah definitely so uh okay so talking about the dungeon again parappa palace um did so you did get the candle right i did get the candle yes cool all right because uh just in case y'all didn't know this dungeon dungeons in this game are not technically beaten until you have gotten the treasure in the dungeon until you have placed the crystal and i think uh 
And I think that's it. I think you have to have gotten Kill the boss. Well, but you have to do that to place the crystal, right. right? So yeah, get the treasure, place the crystal. Once that's done and you leave, the dungeon becomes inaccessible and you can't go back into it. It turns to stone yes. is what it says in the manual. Turn them all to stone. Yeah, exactly. So um, that's a, that's an important thing to note here. If you're able to like re-enter the dungeon after you've beaten the boss and placed the crystal, then you missed something. You got to go back in and find it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we've talked about the enemies we fight in here. We've talked about the treasure that we find. Of course, we don't use the candle in this dungeon at all. But there, you know, there are several places that we stumbled into before entering this dungeon where the candle was clearly like a necessary part. If you, mm-hmm. if you didn't want to like die a terrible death <laughs> so you know that's good i'm always a fan of like i'm always a fan of finding a treasure that answers a problem that i've previously encountered in my gameplay right. time even if it's not something that's happening in the dungeon um and in fairness that you know finding things in the dungeon that help you with the dungeon wasn't something that was going on in the last game either so you right. know again can't can't really knock that. Yeah, I'm not going to I'm not going to ding any points off of our imaginary point scale that we definitely don't have uh, <laughs> for not using a dungeon item. Yeah, no, definitely not. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about the boss, which I think his name is just Horsehead, right? Uh, yeah. So according to ZeldaDungeon.net, which I know our partners over at Zelda Universe are like, why are you using that? But according to ZeldaDungeon.net, his uh, name is Horsehead. Also known in the Japanese version of the game as Mazura, M-A-Z-U-R-A. So there you go. Mazura sounds cooler than Horsehead. Yeah. So I actually found this boss fight um, in stark contrast to all of the boss fights of The Legend of Zelda. Challenging. Um, Yes, I found this uh, fight to be challenging. Um, And it didn't take me too long to figure out how to do damage to horse head, but just beating him, <laughs> hit him in his horse head, <laughs> hit him, hit him in his old horse head. Yeah. Um, but, but just actually being able to do it was kind of a whole separate thing because one horse head has got a lot of health. Yeah, he actually, he does. And he's he, got, he's got, he's beefy boy. And he does have a health bar, which I, which I that appreciated. Was nice. I liked that a lot. Yes. Yeah. I didn't just feel like I was doing nothing and like it took me a, a second to figure out that the red stuff on the left side of the screen was the health bar but once i saw it start going down once i was hitting it i was like oh that's cool yeah yeah i like that so the way you have to beat Horsehead is you can only deal damage to his head um, and you can only accomplish that by kind of doing a jump strike you've got to jump and swing your sword and that hits his head but you also have to dodge the attack that he's kind of doing to you yeah, which is difficult. A slow and, may swing. Yes, yeah. and 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 that actually does a fair amount of of hit points against Link. So, um, yeah, I definitely uh, definitely had a little bit of a hard time with this one. My game over happened at the boss. Um, oh, that sucks. Came, came back for another try and then was able to able to do it. Um, I don't know what what did you think about it. Uh, pretty much the same thing. Like he, uh, it took me a while to figure it out. Honestly, like I was sitting there mostly doing the the iron knuckle uh, strategy of just spam B and and crouch up and down and took a lot of hits. And then I was like, okay, maybe I should rethink this. Um, One interesting thing about him, even his horse head is immune to sword beams. Um, So if you're throwing sword beams at him from across the room, which I was originally doing, they also do nothing. Sword beams in this game, way less good than in the Legend of Zelda. They're They're so disappointing. Like granted, they were very OP (laughs) in the Legend of Zelda. Like, way op so i i don't necessarily uh disagree with that design decision to tone them down a bit but 
part of me is a little sad. Also, it just straight up looks like Link is just chucking throwing knives that are glowing, <laughs> right, which is kind of yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think that is uh, whatever. But yeah, I had a I had a hard time with this one as well. Uh, once I figured it out, I got into a pretty good rhythm of jump, strike, immediately retreat to avoid the thing, and then jump as soon as his swing was over to jump back in because his swings are very lethargic and there's a pretty good amount of time between them. So if you get the timing down right and continue in a very um, set cadence, you you can pretty easily defeat this boss without taking a hit. And um, I, I was able to do that after taking a couple of hits and figuring out the rhythm. Yeah, I got the the bottom three quarters of his health without uh, taking any damage. Mm-hmm. So um, not overly, overly hard, but definitely far and above much harder than any boss in Legend of Zelda. So but I don't think he was the hardest enemy in this dungeon. The, were the iron knuckles the hardest for you? No. Nope. Really? What was uh, the mace throwing dude? Oh, yeah. I hated that guy. Well, it's so tough to like once you get close to him, it's cool. You win. But like getting up to him is the hard part. <laughs> yeah. He's just chucking those maces. <laughs> yeah. And that is and it's like I was struggling to find a window in which to like sneak under those. And and especially the one that's guarding that first key. Yeah. It's like you have to jump onto the platform. And in order to jump onto the platform, you jump high enough to always be in the line of fire. So you almost like have to take a hit and have that brief moment of non-damage ability yeah, yeah. And, and then do it. So you almost like have to purposefully get hit to then go do it. Yeah, right? it is. It is tough. That was a very tough enemy, no doubt. You know, the other thing that I actually so one of those things that Josh um, included in his little guide for us as a fun bonus thing to try and do is uh, because we have bubbles in this game as uh, well. Yes, I saw them. And uh, and they do a lot of damage when they hit you. Quite but, a lot. but they are killable. No way. Yes, uh, they 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 take damage when you hit them with your sword. Um, they they do take damage, and more importantly, when you hit them with your sword, they kind of get stun locked, and so you can just kind of keep hitting them over and over and over and over and over and over. Oh, it, that's cool. It takes like fifty hits to kill one, but you get fifty experience. Oh, that's nice for killing each one. And it's sort of tough because there are rooms where they exist where you've got um, what did you call the experience stealing dudes? Uh, tin suits. Yeah. So you've got like those guys spawning instantly and you're like trying to dodge them and not get hit by them while you're trying to kill the bubble. And it's a huge pain in the butt. But there are areas of the dungeon where you can like get the bubble close to the end of a room and when and it, then just like and then just smack kind of, it to yeah, death. go to town on it. So that's <laughs> a that's a good thing to do. It was actually, uh, you know, reading about doing it made it sound really difficult, but it actually was pretty easy like there's a system to it you know oh uh, yeah um so definitely that's a great way to grind some xp inside dungeons if you if you kind of feel down for it but oh you want to know an interesting tidbit yeah apparently the statues that look like iron knuckles yes it, some of them if you hit them with your sword will drop items apparently uh one of them after one of those mace throwy dudes uh drops a health potion Oh, well, that's nice. Yeah, so there you go. Apparently, there is a way to get health in this game, and we both just missed it. Cool. Congratulations, us. Certainly not like a <laughs> certainly not a way to get health that is like as easily accessible as, you know, any other Zelda game ever. But <laughs> ever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, okay, cool. So do you have anything else you want to say about the dungeon, Matt? I know that we, we talked about the dungeon music in part two but i just want to say again that i i do like this dungeon theme i think it's a pretty cool piece of music it's by far my favorite piece of music in the game so far yeah 
I, I would agree with that. I, I, I don't really think I have too many other things. I wish that I had had the shield spell. I think that would have made this uh, a little bit easier for me um, just because I was taking a lot of hits. Mm-hmm. Um, again, just not used to the com- the flow of combat, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, also, one interesting note, and I noticed this in The Legend of Zelda as well, is that, um, and I'm seeing this on the Zelda Dungeon guide, that uh, if Link is using his shield spell, which has his red tunic, um, a lot of the surrounding architecture will take on that same red hue, like the statue at the end uh, is normally blue. But if you're using your shield spell, it is apparently red. So, okay, that's kind of neat. Cool. Cool little tidbit for anyone that cares. Mm. Cool, cool. Well, let's move into part four, which is bloopy trails, where we talk about interesting things that diverted our attention this week. Um, Matt, I'm going to let you go first because I've I've got one that I know for a fact based on our earlier conversation that you didn't do. So. Yeah. Uh, I found a hidden grove with a big XP upgrade. It has like a 50 XP upgrade. Nice. So that was nice. Uh, I went to both towns, didn't find anything worth finding. I uh, I went and visited the Lady Zeal Repute because I I feel like Link deserves that. He, yeah. He's he's been through a lot. He deserves some uh, some companionship. Gotcha. Um. So bloopy trails for me. The first one that I was going to talk about just a minute ago is that yes, there's a magic spell. I haven't. I didn't go to Ruto, so I didn't find that one. But in Rauru, you can find the defense upgrade spell. And the way that you have to do that is there's a house and a woman comes out of it. When you talk to her, she says you should talk to my father. And then she goes back in the house. And when she goes back in the house, the door behind her is open for like two seconds and you've got to go in the door before it closes. And if you don't do that, then you have to exit the town and come back in. Um, But once you do that, you can get into the house and then you go through the house. And then in a tunnel at the back of the house is her father who has the defense upgrade spell, which you can get. Huzzah. So there you go. The other thing is that if you go straight south along the coast of the beach from Parappa Palace, there is a heart container down there. Uh, Yes, I am seeing that on Zelda Dungeon as well, and I'm going to go do that too. Cool. Yeah, definitely go get that um, because, yeah, I mean, life upgrade is definitely a thing that you that you want to have in this game. So um, that's a pretty good and easy one to get. It took me all of like five minutes to get to. Uh, you have to go through kind of like a jumpy platforming area in order to get there where you've got some like environmental. They look like a little bubbles coming up from the. Yeah. Ground. Yeah. I, I know I got into a few of those where the they're like energy bubbles that are coming across the screen. But as I'm scrolling here, I see that these bubbles are coming up from underneath. Yeah. And honestly, it looks like they blend in super well with the they do. They're story. hard. To, yeah. they, they're hard to see. Yeah. Looks like that might be a little difficult. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, those are those are two that you should definitely make a make a point to go and try to acquire before you go forward into the next section of the game. Let's go ahead and get into part five, which is Z targeting, where we lock on to fascinating characters or enemies that we happen to cross. Matt, who's your Z targeting pick for this week? Um, I'm going to go with uh, Horsehead, actually, like he's just a. He's an interesting design choice for an enemy and an interesting just like overall uh, kind of experience for a first boss. Um, harder than anything we fought in Legend of Zelda. And um, just like. I think whoever designed this enemy probably had a, a decently fun time with it. I don't know if they were going for like centaur, but on two legs instead of four or if they were going for like a minotaur, but horse instead of bullhead. Um 
but I don't know. Like he he comes across pretty well for me. I, I thought he was I thought he was well done. Cool. I was actually going to pick the Iron Knuckles. Um, as you said, Matt, they they are very difficult enemies to fight in this dungeon. That's not the reason that I'm picking them. Um, the Iron Knuckles are one of my favorite enemies from Ocarina of Time. Yep. But they're not an enemy that really crops up in Zelda games that often. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really cool to see the the genesis of that enemy here. And even though you know they don't, they're not like huge axe swinging dudes like they are in Ocarina of Time. Gorge, gorge, or whatever they say. Yeah, yeah. Um, they they are difficult. Uh, they're definitely a combat challenge. And so, yeah, I, I thought that it was uh, it was definitely neat to see them here for the first time for their first appearance in a Zelda game. So, yep, Iron Knuckles get my Z targeting pick for the week. Yeah, and I do want to give an honorable uh, mention shout out to the king of Hyrule, who apparently in all of his wisdom is the one that populated all of these uh, dungeons with these enemies. So like F that guy, I guess. (laughs) Well, that's all part of the system, you know, I mean, like he's got this whole thing where not just anybody should be able to get the Triforce of Courage. Right. So, you know, you got to You got to make it a little difficult for somebody to stick that crystal in the statue, you know, Fair enough. Okay. All right. Well, let's get into part six, which is our final thoughts, where we let Matt break down this chunk of the game in as succinct a way as he can think to do. Take it away, Matt. So this is the first step in uh, easily the most unique uh, journey that we have embarked uh, upon so far. Um, There are a lot of very interesting and uh, different design choices that are manifest in this game uh, from the overworld exploration to the combat mechanics and the the side scrolling nature of uh, the game itself. Uh, There is a a lot of a lot of things to get used to. Um, I would say that it it didn't blow either of us away right out of the gate, um, but definitely has given us some interesting things to ponder and to get used to. Um, and I think that there is, there is some promise here that, uh, you know, I think we'll, we can find some, some gems, uh, to enjoy. So, uh, looking forward to continuing to explore, uh, this version of Hyrule with this version of Link and, and kind of leaning into the, uh, the difference and kind of getting out of our comfort zone, uh, to experience what this game has to offer. Yep, absolutely. That brings us to the end of the Sacred Realms Rundown for this week. We will, of course, return next week with another installment of the Sacred Realms Rundown, covering another chunk of this game. Before we get out of here for this week, we do have a few five-star reviews that we've got to read because we do that every now and again on the show, and we've got some uh, we've got some good ones that have popped up recently. So, Matt, do you have those queued up and ready to roll? I do, and the first one I want to give a special shout-out to. Uh, we also shouted out on our Twitter earlier today, uh, George Thornton. Thank you so much for uh, continuing the meme that is uh, our five-star review section. Uh, we said, it was a while ago now, probably uh, two seasons or so, uh, where someone posted the uh, entirety of the Chili's menu in our five-star review section as their written portion, and we we encouraged everyone to go and you know drop that in there and, and see which one we got next. And George Thornton, uh, man, if you did not deliver, thank you so much for the... Uh, Texas Roadhouse uh, menu. 
So thank you so much, George Thornton. Texas five, five star reviews and Texas Roadhouse. Texas Roadhouse got some good rolls. You know, dinner rolls are pretty Very great good there. Dinner rolls. Yeah. Uh, but on the more serious side, uh, we do have another one from Tiffany the Star, um, who says, "Excellent, can't get enough." Uh, this podcast has prompted me to write my very first review. Well, thank you, Tiffany. I appreciate that. Can't get enough of it. I'm a huge Zelda fan and play and replay many of the games often. These two have the conversation I've always wanted to have with someone. I started a little late and binged all the episodes. Man, that is a lot of podcast binge. Each one at least like an hour and 15 minutes and we're at like almost episode 80. So yeah, that's a, that's a lot of pod. So <laughs> thank you, Tiffany. I hope you didn't get annoyed by us too much. Um, Started a little late, binged all the episodes, and when I caught up, I finally bit the bullet and bought Skyward Sword on the Switch for my very first playthrough. I also restarted the podcast season on Skyward Sword so I could finally visual visualize all the things they talked about as I played. Re-listen value is great. Thank you for the many, many hours of amazing and knowledgeable content, for giving opinions and being honest about what you don't know, and for finally getting me to play a delightful game in the Zelda saga that I had previously avoided. Can't wait to get more involved as a fan. Keep it up, guys. Well, thank you, Tiffany. I'm really glad that you're enjoying the podcast and on a more personal note and extremely uh, glad that you uh, bit the bullet, as you said, and bought Skyward Sword and appeared to enjoy it. So, uh, yeah, you made you made Matt's week. You did. That was that was great. It's, it's a it's an antidote to all of the Max Nichols naysaying that I get on a regular basis. So thank you for that, Tiffany. Um, let us know on Twitter or Instagram how, how you felt about the game itself. Um, you know, you can hit us up there uh, at Sacred Realms pod, both on on Twitter and Instagram, also our Patreon and Discord and everything, you know, get involved as much or as little as you want, but we'd love to hear from you again. So thanks so much to all of y'all who have left five-star reviews. Uh, as Lynn has said at the top of the show, we are officially over the 100 five-star review mark. And uh, man, we just really can't say how much we appreciate you guys. And it means a lot to us that so many of y'all uh, tune in and listen and, and enjoy our conversation. And, you know, we're just two nerdy dudes who are just trying to have a good time talking about Zelda and you guys make it even better than that already is. So thank you all. Yep. Absolutely co-signed. And Tiffany, to Matt's point, um, if you're ever looking for a great uh, crew of people to have conversations about Zelda with, um, you know, get in, get into the Patreon, any tier level, um, lowest, you know, like $1 a month. Yeah. Lowest is $1 a month and anything from there on up gets access to our discord server where people are always talking about Zelda. They're a great crew. So that's always available to you. Um, if you are of a mood to do it, but either way, that's an excellent review. Thank you so much. Those are, those are some very kind words and, and we truly, truly appreciate, uh, you taking the time to write them in, uh, to, to us. Yeah. So you stumbled across the finish line there, but you, but you did good. Yeah, well, you know they can't they can't all be winners. Yeah. <laughs> all right. What do you say we stumble across the finish line of this episode and head on in? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I feel like maybe maybe I just want to bring it home triumphantly. Maybe I'm in the mood to do that. Well, I have full power to you. Let's see. How I you feel do. like I feel like all the substance of the episode is behind us. So I don't know if that's even possible. But okay, I don't know. I'll just settle for my regular outro and we'll call it good. Right? I feel like that's fair. That's, awesome. That's fair. All right, y'all. If you enjoyed today's show and you would like a little extra sacred realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacred realms pod and become a patron. Got no rupees. It's not a problem. Also, this game has no rupees. I yes, I actually had a note written down about that and we didn't talk about it. Yeah, no money in this game. What is this communist Hyrule? Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry, that might need to be taken out. But yeah, that's rough. I don't know. It's weird. I don't know if it's rough. It's weird. 
I enjoy being extravagantly wealthy in these games, so I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those random numbers that means nothing at the end of the game, but you're still kind of like, yeah, I got that. Yeah. Anywho, got no rupees? It's not a problem. Five-star Apple podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show. That makes us very happy, Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod for updates on the podcast and for behind-the-scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on The Adventure of Link Chapter 2, which is going to be covering what is it it's Medoro Palace and Death Mountain um and I believe that we're going to have Josh on for that episode I know he said he wanted to do the Death Mountain section so well, there you go that means that's his yep so there look, look forward to that um yeah let's see we'd love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on our social channels the adventure of link can be played in a variety of places it can be played on the original nintendo nes it can be played on the nintendo nes mini it can be played on a variety of e-shops and it can be played on the nintendo switch nes online service which is the version that matt and i are playing but in the meantime may your hearts be full may your arrows never miss we'll catch y'all next time Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences.